Now on Documentary on News Talk. More than 8 million people in Somalia require immediate life-saving aid due to the worst drought in over 40 years. Last year, 1,049 children died in nutrition centres and the situation is set to worsen, with the sixth consecutive failed rain season expected. News Talk's Josh Crosby travelled to Somalia with Trokra to see the life-saving work that is being carried out. Here is his documentary, Devastation to Hope. 8.2 million, the number of people in Somalia in need of immediate aid. And then you look, and that child is severely malnourished. That's bad. That's just simply unacceptable. 3 million, the number of people internally displaced. 2,000, the number of IDP camps set up across Somalia. A sixth failed rain season expected. And 36 seconds is the amount of time a person is likely to die from hunger in East Africa. I'm on my way to the town of Luke in the southwest of Somalia. As we leave Mogadishu Airport and fly up over Africa's longest coastline, stretching over 3,000 kilometers, the infrastructure of the capital gives a glimpse of what is to be expected. It's often said a country's economy can be judged on the number of cranes in a city's skyline. Well, the absence of high-rise developments and the lack of commuting traffic below indicates we are heading for a different world. So Josh, we're just arriving or just uh, close to a place called Luke. And this is one of the main towns in the northern area of Ghetto District. Ghetto District's about the size of Ireland. And Luke is on what is called the Dowell Juba River. So its main livelihood is on the river, but the, the surrounding rural countryside is normally uh, pastoralist communities who rear camel and goats, although most of those rural people now as livelihoods are decimated by the drought. So they're coming into these towns seeking refuge and, and, and humanitarian services. And just when you say river, as I look down, there's an orange redness off the earth. You can see the markings of old rivers and streams just lying empty, like there's like no, being scorched in the ground. There are two main rivers in Somalia. The, the, the Juba River and the Shabele River, but both are almost dry. And those rivers come and are fed from the, the, the uplands of, of Ethiopia. But as you can see out, these huge numbers of streams and smaller rivers that are just completely dry. Not only that, but the aquifers below that are also dry. And people are having to dig deeper and deeper and deeper for water. And oftentimes that water is too saline for human consum- consumption all of it directly attributable to climate change. Okay, Paul, so we're just about to land here now. I'll see for myself once we touch the ground. Yeah, great. Trokra's country director for Somalia, Paul Healy, who we will hear more from throughout this trip. We land on a sandy gravel airstrip in a UN 12-seater plane before being brought into town with an armed escort over security concerns. In the market square of Luke, we are met with a watchful welcome as children gather to see these strangers to their town. But a striking look of sorrow awaits us from those we meet at the IDP camp. He mentions and says that it took them like roughly 16 days to reach here. So he says on the way, he says that we never had enough food when we left the villages. So he says that at one point we ran out of food and even we ran out of water. He says that it was very hard. The yeah, one that Chess has ever experienced. He says that one child she was carrying at the back, another one at the front lap. 
and uh, the other two who, who walk, she says that she was trying to pull them in order, they, in order for them to, to at least walk. So she says that it was very hard and, uh, and she also mentions and says that they had nothing even to eat. Driving up to the Boile IDP camp, there are carcasses of camels, donkeys and goats. When you step out of the jeep, there is the smell of dead animals wafting through the 40 degrees heat. We then make our way to the health centre at the camp. Mothers arrive with their children, babies are weighed and examined to determine their state of malnutrition. Liban Rubla is the nutrition officer and he walks me through the process. The entire of this IDP camp is being served in this small post that you are in today. So children are basically immunized here. Uh, they are also identified whether they are malnourished or not. So in case they are malnourished, then we categorize whether they are severely malnourished or moderately malnourished. So if a child is moderately malnourished, this team can attend and they can be treated within a, a couple of like four weeks or five weeks. But if a child is severely malnourished, we have again to confirm if that child requires uh, inpatient treatment or outpatient treatment. That means that the child must be having and severe aqua malnutrition with complications. So if a child is having the aqua malnutrition with complications, they will have to be referred to the main district hospital referral for inpatient treatment. And is it easy to access the hospital? Can you get a child in there okay? Yes, yes, it's, it's accessible. It's open 24 hours 7. Uh, everyone within the community, whether marginalized, whether new arriving, everybody uh, can access our health facilities. It's a Torokra or Rand uh, health facilities. And the babies we're seeing in front of us, how will this affect their development? When our children become severely malnourished, developmental mile milestone is always hindered. So it will always be having a setback on them. But if detected earlier and treated, it is something that can be managed. For children who are severely malnourished, some will be having a wasting body, which means that their body becomes more of a skin and, and bones like a skeleton. And that will be having a huge impact on the children. And some children may end up be having a stunted growth. And we saw a baby there whose arm was measured and it was in the red zone. So the baby was malnourished. Yes. The, the, Does that baby not need to go to the hospital now or, or will it be treated here on site? Uh, the red simply means that, that that child is in danger. Uh, and that child requires a close attention. It's a chaotic atmosphere. Mothers are queuing in hope their babies are examined in time and the circumferences of their children's arms are being measured. In the middle of all this, the nurse is carefully dispensing medication as empty packets of therapeutic milk signify the extent of malnutrition at the camp. Yes, my name is uh, Muhammad Amr. My position is a highly qualified nurse, senior nurse. Here, children, the health children, it's mostly for the airborne disease like common colds, flu, influenza, pneumonia, pneumonia. Sometimes measles can, can happen. How is the situation changing since you started doing your work? Yes, since you started yes, doing this? We get help for the organization is working here. Increase the health, improve it. They get medicine, nutritional, water, sanitation, food, environmental hygiene. When a child comes to you and is severely malnourished? If the child is severely malnourished, we look at the child's condition. If very severe, we refer to our general hospital referral. If the child has appetite, we give medicine. These are the standard medication that you give out? Yes, standard medication. Standard medication. And are you having any medicine. difficulties getting the supplies? 
Do you ever no, run out of no, certain no, no, products? No, 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 it's good. Good, not, good not, supply. Yes, good supplies. We get well the medicine, not no, not difficult, no challenge. And are some children who arrive, just arrive, first day from the walk, can they be close to death? Here. Yeah. When they arrive. Yes, yes, yes. They nearly looking to die when they when they flee from the problem. Because they have coming with some complication, disease, malnutrition, they really maybe to die here. There are a lot of children die with malnutrition and uh, missiles disease they die here. But now it's produced for the organization's help. Walking through the camp, children are playing with a ball of rags, which brings them a sense of distraction, surrounded by devastation. We meet with the Mahad family, who's the focus of Trokra's Lenten campaign to highlight the crisis the people of Somalia are facing. The family of 10 is living in a hut built with branches and sticks, smaller than two car spaces. Basically, he says that he lost everything that he had. So it was at a point of survival for, for the children. So he had to live with them so that they can survive. They're the Lent family for Trokra, so people around the world will see a picture, an image of them on boxes, on posters, on signs. Would they have a message or an appeal for people in other countries, in Europe, in Ireland? She says that uh, she will be very much happy to have a message to be shared with the world. And she says that uh, at the moment, life in the camp, she says, is very hard for them. They are hungry. If they could be having a source of uh, food for their survival, she also says that they will be very much appreciative in getting that. Where are we standing here now at the moment, Paul? So we're in a camp called Boile Internally Displaced Camp, or IDP Camp. It's 40 degrees, it's kind of hot. These recently arrived internally displaced came literally with the clothes on their backs. They had nothing and coming starving. And they pitched themselves here just outside Luke Town, looking for services. As you can see around, we established some basic hygiene, so put toilets in. We put a water point so people would have access to water. We put tanks up. The first point of contact is the health outpost. Here, it's more about kind of addressing, preventing more serious health issues arising by providing water and sanitation, as well as screening the children and the mothers particularly, and making sure they're healthy while they're here. This man here had 200 goats and 20 camels and had five goats left that he left behind because there was nothing in them. There was no meat on them. Uh, so he came here with nothing. They've got their sanitation. They've got water. They've got their health. The problem is sustainability and into the future. What is he and his family going to do? Yes, the children are now back in school in the Trokra supported school down the road and they have hopes for their children. But as you can see, it's a wasteland. There's no rain. Uh, we're facing into a sixth dry season, a failed rainy season. It's catastrophic. So longer term solutions are also needed. Um, livelihood solutions. So part of our work is to look at that and uh, for the long terms. The health centre is not the only treatment service available at the camps. There are also dedicated spaces for women to come and gain skills, which allow them to be more independent, but most importantly, safe. Mamina. GBV officer Trokea. 
they are happy and you know they are learning we have sharing sharing session where they can share the information they're excited about it they're coming they're having a purpose in their life whenever they're coming they, you ask them or even we can ask them they're like oh i'm having purpose now i got friends there are even some cases we have rescued because of, they have shared and with the friends and what are some of the main issues that women are coming to you with it's gbb rape assault most of the people from in Jazeera, they came as a result of drought. There are women who are raped on their way, and some of them seeking for, you know, firewood. Some of them are even pregnant at the same time they are raped. And also the women with mental health issues are raped. And it's so common because they cannot say who raped them. Some are having anyway, children. One died as a result of trauma. Trokra's gender-based violence officer, Amina Mohamed Ibrahim, at the Jazeera IDP Camp Women's Centre. The service launched last year and has already supported over 200 women. Groups will attend different classes such as reading, writing, tailoring and henna art. Welcome now. I'm going to show you the classes where the women and the young girls are learning. It's a busy class. Yeah, it's a busy class, yeah, basically. Everyone came to the centre today. Yes, they really came. If at first they start with the book when they are beginners, they start using the books and they graduate to now applying for their fellows. That's how they learn. Like these girls, now they have graduated from the book to now uh, the actual work. And do different flowers symbolize different meanings? So yeah, it depends if it's a wedding and maybe it's a, a, the bride and she has to be brown, you know, special. If it's a Eid, Eid now they also it has a meaning so it depends on the on the ceremony they use lotion to, to practice when it, when they are practicing on the first two, three days to learn you know and now they are using uh, permanent uh, henna so they 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 buy it from the market and now they 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 start using it so it depends it's like more of permanent it can stay like a week or two weeks it's two weeks yeah basically two weeks to three weeks it depends how you bathe or how you scrub and yeah, yeah it can stay it's, it's more of permanent the women's center is not only used as a safe learning hub but mothers can also bring their children with them a space for women to bond and share information speaking through a translator this woman says she hopes to turn her skills into a business she says that the main reason that's why she's here is in order to develop this ability of crafting the drawings so that uh, later she can make something out of that, uh, an income for her family. What does she like most about the centre? What does it provide for her? Uh, for her, the, the biggest uh, things that is making her uh, to, to come to work, to work this center is in order to gain these crafting uh, skills so that she can make something out of that. On the day I visited the women's center, the classes taking place were henna and tailoring. These skills, along with literacy lessons, are helping the women involved gain more confidence, independence and know their rights. Yeah, and if you follow me, George, now I'm going to show you the tailoring room, tailoring class. As you can see, this lady even, she's doing the technical part. Okay. They are well versed with the technical part. They don't call someone outside. They are the one who does the, the work of technical and whenever they are tailoring and also they do the technical part for themselves, as you can see. And what do they make? Is it their own clothes, their family's clothes? No, they have materials, they clothe in, uh, for fashion dresses, if they want for small children, for big people. Throws that dress, all kind of clothes as you can see. Those are there. Yeah. I can see some lovely, colorful dresses hanging yeah. there. 
What are her plans for the future? Would she like to have her own tailoring business? Hello, Dimpa. Basically, yeah, she's saying she has the plan of even starting her own business in the near future. Will she have a name for the business? beauty. Okay. That's what she's saying. So people need to look out for that name in the future. A space like this means so much more than just a class or just a workshop. Yeah. It means a lot more to the people that come here. Yeah, it's, it means a lot to women, especially, you know, women and girls. They feel safe. They feel, you know, that they belong. it belongs to them. It gives them a sense of autonomy, sense of purpose, you know. So it gives them happiness also because they meet the, the youngest, the women, women themselves. They share what happened to their lives. You know, it gives them it's a support system, basically. It's a support system. So it means a lot to them. The worst drought in the Horn of Africa for more than 40 years is leading to humans and animals dying. Villages and farms are being abandoned as families search for survival. A project in Luke which is bringing sustainable farming to women living in the IDP camps is the Agroecology Programme. The women, that only this place, she can only keep four bananas. The one that has a baby and the two, three others. Beyond that, if she has too many babies, they will eat a lot. Remember we said banana is a heavy feed? Yes. So if you want to get big fruits, keep them full so that she can have some to eat and some to take to the market. Agreed? This sustainable farm will use water from the nearby Juba River through an irrigation system which should allow for hundreds of banana and papaya trees to grow here over the next six months. Partnership and Relationship Coordinator with Troka, Ruth Mongi, talks me through the latest developments. So what we'll have, we'll have two access points, water coming to the farm. One will be on this side and one will be on the other side. So for Zone 3 and Zone 1, we'll have tap stands and then we'll have holes where they'll connect. On this farm, we're working with internally displaced persons. Um, and when they come to look, it's very rare for them to uh, move back to their home. So they have to find a way of surviving here and look. During the trainings, you'll hear that most of the women um, say that when they were back at home, some of them used to practice agriculture, but it was rain-fed. Now they've come to look where people don't practice rain-fed agriculture. They're now shifting practices. So even the trainings that we are providing is giving them an opportunity to boost the knowledge that they have. Internationally, I suppose, farmers can be slow to change their traditions, their ways, but here locally they are adapting to the new ways of farming. Yes, but it's still slow. What we hope to do with funding from Irish Aid is work with the local community members just to advocate for agroecological practices and also a shift in irrigation practices at the farm. But in the past few days where we've been working with the farmers and trying to switch things around, we're clearly seeing um, some change and they're buying into it. Of course, it takes a lot of work, but we're trying to see how we can come together and work together collectively to have the required labour that we need at the farm. While on the farm, a family passes us by, walking back to the IDP camp with containers of water from the river. In some way, it was reassuring to see this supply from the river bringing hope, crops, food and life to the community. My name is Stella Maris Mulai. I work with an organisation called Swiss Catholic Lenten Fund, which is a sister organisation of Trocare. 
And I've been invited by Ruth on a resilience program because we've been doing agroecology in Asals for the last seven years. And she has invited me to come with her to Somalia together to begin discussing with the group of partners on how to implement permaculture and agroecology in this farm. So for the last um, seven days, Amia is a resilience consultant. And much more importantly is to work with the women that are going to be practicing agroecology here. So what we've been doing is first to look at the farms, look at the resources that are available, because agroecology is about working with nature and not against nature. Soil is life. It gives us the kind of food we want. So we have done a lot of soil fertility just through composting, but also designing the farm to have more nitrogen-fixing trees. And what's needed here to make this a success so it can be used as a template for other areas of Somalia? I think we have willing partners. I have found a great attitude is the first uh, beginning point, but also they have a resource. It's in Somalia, in a place where it has not rained for the last six years properly, and they have a river that they have begun implementing, Mm -hmm. and they're willing to begin. They have been working with women, and they realize there's higher potential if they transformed how they do their agriculture. And I'm happy they have a very good perspective and a very good knowledge now of how to practice permaculture. And a good team. The farmers are good workers, as we can see. Yes, yes, yes. The teams are, these are project teams of the partners who will accompany the women and they were ready to try whatever the teacher said we are going to try it yes uh, my name is abdi nasir sherwa i'm the program manager of uh, serit serit is one of the partners of troke so we just started the first training that uh, troke consultants is here to train us on how we do proper farming specifically for uh, climate resilience and climate agriculture and you're a local resident in luke yourself yes yes what will this mean for the area this is i think very great opportunity for the area because our people have been trying for i think for the last two decades to farm here but the production was very low um, because of the the way people used to farm that's what this project and other projects are now to change so we are learning now how to uh, use uh, natural resources we have we are now uh, under training and then we go going to transfer that knowledge to the women idbs and today without this farm what vegetables would be on a family's dinner table this is the only farm that is supporting them. And then the harvest, this, uh, they get the, they, from this farm, they, they, they wanted to use that one for their home seat. At the same time, they're going to sell the supplies to the market where they get some income and then they send their children to the schoolies. And uh, this is the only source they have is specifically for women. Is there a sense of positivity in Luke? People are happy to yes. come on board and Absolutely. engage? Yes. Currently, we are engaging only 100 women. We have two farms here. And then every farm, there's 100 women IDBs. So there's a lot of other people from the neighboring IDB comes from the community. They also they interest in this type and they're asking us to, to be part of that one. But that's what we have now. Resources we have only we can only support 100 IDB women. It will grow and grow. Yeah, it will grow and grow, hopefully. It was now time to meet with those providing healthcare in Luke and hear from the patients in need of treatment. We're on our way to the main medical facility in Luke Town, which Throker has been managing uh, since we came here, where we do uh, all the major 
medical interventions, including caesarean sections, mostly focusing on mothers and children. Yes, and the, the different IDP camps dotted around, Luke, they will be treated here? Everybody gets treated here, particularly what we try to do is reduce the stress on the main facility by having outreach facilities in IDP camps. But for more complicated issues, they come here to the main facility and we make sure that they get transport from these tuk-tuks that we have bought to carry people from the IDP centre to the hospital. Okay, so like a localised ambulance version, if you like. It's a kind of an ambulance, but a pretty small one, Josh, to be honest, but it does the job, you know. Um, we actually converted one to have a bed on it, uh, particularly for mothers if they're stressed and um, they need to have deliveries. So it's pretty dirt road, but um, it's only about a kilometre to the to the hospital. Then we'll we'll get to see and, and meet uh, people who are accessing the services as well as our staff in the hospital itself. Trokra has been involved with Luke District Hospital since 1993 and Somalia is the only country where the charity directly implements healthcare. The facility itself is not extensive in size, but it is under pressure with a number of patients seeking treatment. So what you're seeing here is the main gate people come in and this will be the first point of contact, which is the outpatient consultation. So people will be queuing up here, as you can see along the wall, mothers and children and fathers and people and the main diseases we'll talk about in a minute. From there, they're referred. And as you can see in here, you see the exact numbers of OPD. So on average, we're getting about 4,000 people through this door per month. Along here, sometimes, and quite common, you have a number of diseases that need blood tests or stool tests. So our lab is right beside this. And the lab will check on the most common things they will find is amoebic dysentery, malaria, Today, three TB cases, yesterday, two TB cases. So that's very, very serious. An awful lot of the diseases that come in here, you are actually coming from dirty water or complicated cases that are preventable. Hence, our main health program is a preventative health program in the community. Despite that, we have 4,000 people coming through this door every month. Some of the common complications seen at the hospital are malaria, TB, worms, UTIs and gastritis. As we enter the stabilisation centre, every bed is occupied, but there are signs of recovery throughout the ward. My name is Abdulaziz Osman. Uh, I'm the clinical coordinator uh, for Trocra, who's also a medical doctor supporting the health facilities that are supported by Trocra. How many patients does this hospital here care for? Uh, the hospital has many dif different departments, starting with the OPD, the outpatient. Uh, it usually sees uh, roughly uh, close to 120 people, including pregnant women, including uh, children, including adults. Uh, and then when you come to the inpatients, uh, you do have uh, this stabilization center that usually has a bed capacity of around 24-25. And then you have uh, uh, inpatients for males, females and pediatrics that's usually around a capacity of around 32 beds. And then you do also do have uh, a maternity ward that has a capacity of around 12 beds. And which section is under the most pressure, the most demand? Uh, currently, currently it is uh, the stabilization center and the, and the pediatric ward. That's where the children who are also ill are admitted. What's the most worrying complication you see coming through the door? 
when when it comes to the hospital there are two common severe complications that we usually see one is for children who are malnourished that is children who are dehydrated or, and children who have uh, severe pneumonia and difficulty in breathing and then on the other side of the maternity ward is a woman who is pregnant who comes from a far place who has been bleeding so those are the common severe complications that you usually see of course there are other cases in the, the pediatric ward or even in emergency ward where gunshots are also sometimes uh, common in our in our hospital yeah Dr. Abdul Aziz Osman. Even though Luke Hospital is operating in an extraordinary challenging environment, the facility manages to use solar power for much of its energy supply. Liban Rubla, the nutrition officer we heard from at the IDP camp, tells me about the steps patients will go through once they are admitted here and translates some of their experiences. At the moment, the stabilization center is divided into three phases. So on arrival, the newly admitted children are on this phase, the, the phase one whereby they have to be stabilized, which means they're already in the danger situation. So as we keep on moving and as they recover now, they're taken to transition phase, whereby of which we can say they're a bit out of the danger, but not totally out of the danger. And with time, in a quite like 72 hours or, 70 or, or four days, they keep on improving. So now we take them to phase two, which, which simply means they're out of the danger and they have been stabilized and they could easily uh, be discharged at any given time. Uh, depending on, on, on how uh, space we could be having. So we may be having other children who are coming in a, in a more dire situation. So we will end up now discharging a child whenever we feel like he's out of the danger. Yeah. Yeah. And how many beds are we talking about here in front of us? Uh, at the moment, this bed, uh, this ward can only accommodate uh, 20 children at a go. It's a 20-bed capacity, but now it's fully occupied. There's no single bed uh, uh, without a, a child. So now we are at the moment even using other words to make sure that children are not returned back home. So stretches are being laid out in, in other sections of the hospital. Yes, yes. So at the moment we have a total of 24 children, 20 in this ward, 4 in the other wards. And she says her name is uh, Malin Mohammed. The child ended up developing diarrhea and severe uh, and was severely vomiting. Uh, he ended up developing that kind of complication and uh, she was referred to this center for, for treatment. At the moment, she says that she's a host within lockdown, but uh, she was born and raised in Ethiopia. Uh, she says that he has been sick for quite three months. Uh, his conditions was uh, was getting worse with time. And she says that at first when I brought him here, his condition was worse. Uh, but with time, she says he's recovering and he's improving. And she says that I'm happy to be here with my child. And uh, seeing that uh, the way he is at the moment, she says that she has the hope that she, he will recover. What would she do without this hospital? Uh, it could have been worse. It could have been worse for, 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 for us. That's what she said. And is she afraid of the day when they have to leave the hospital to face the challenges of everyday life? Back at home, things are okay for us. Uh, it's only that the child has been sick for quite some time. Uh, going back, she says that if he recovers, she will be very much happy and she doesn't anticipate any problem. The hospital's main focus is on women and children, but patients will also be admitted with injuries from the ongoing conflict. Certain attitudes towards women in Somalia can end up being a matter of life or death when it comes to healthcare. Dr. Osman brings us to the operating theatre, where he explains the approach staff have to take when carrying out procedures. 
Sometimes what happens is that uh, the father, even the relatives, can actually uh, refuse the consent. It happened to me recently that a lady who had been having labor in her own home has gotten difficulty in labor, and then she was brought to the hospital, and then I reviewed, and then we said that this lady now, she requires an emergency cesarean section. The father uh, declines it. In fact, he even gets out of the hospital and says, I don't allow it. We have taken time to call his brother, the uncle, uh, the mother, uh, the husband, to make sure that we want to make sure that we save this woman and her baby. So it can sometimes be that uh, time consuming and sometimes you don't have the serious time. You have to also convince them and you have to also make sure that they understand the con to consent for that uh, cesarean section. So what happened in that case? What was the end result? The end result was we've, we've convinced to look for an alternative pathway. And so we have called his brother and then we have called the mother and then the husband to make sure that they consent. And then we have operated the mother and both her and her baby has been uh, operated successfully. You can face those obstacles or challenges in terms of even saving a woman's life. The healthcare staff have been met with aggression from the father, the men in the family. Yes, sometimes, sometimes it does happen that uh, the relatives can tell you we do not allow and we do not consent daughter to be operated. And if you do so, you have to do it at your own risk. We haven't had incidences of uh, uh, violence from the community of, over the last, I think, uh, 10 years or so. But it has been the case previously. Those things were very common, where even someone with a gun could even come to the theater and tell you, you have to do this for me or you have to do that. The male dominance in our society sometimes jeopardizes the woman's health. The hospital has had a new TB centre built. As we look in, patients are having family visits and it's hard to escape a feeling of intrusion while they undergo treatment. About four years ago, the chairman came and said, look, we've, we have a major problem with TB and we would like to address it and we need a facility. So very kindly, Rathfarnham Parish did a, a Lent collection for us and they collected money. And with that funding, uh, two years ago, we built this TB ward. So while it is right beside and part of the hospital, you can see it's a little bit off because of the complications related to how dangerous TB is. But what's frightening is even in the last two days, like there were three TB cases identified today, two yesterday, this is an ongoing issue and absolutely needs very close monitoring and treatment. So we do here, we do x-rays, we do direct observation therapy and make sure the drugs are taken so to avoid uh, multi-drug resistant TB. So we'll have a quick look. We won't go in too far, but you yeah. see there's one. Let's use it sometimes to admit people who have infectious diseases, whether it is uh, like the gentleman who has the TB on the other side, or whether someone who has measles. These are infectious or contagious diseases that you wouldn't otherwise admit in other parts of the hospital. So as part of the infection prevention control, this is more or less like the isolation ward, so that at least if a patient has measles or COVID-19 or TB, you can manage them in this side of the hospital. So yeah. you'll see a gentleman with CB yes, here. Yes, yes. He's just been admitted and he's isolated. Yeah. So in this room here, it's kind of isolation. And then in this room here, you can see another man who's doing direct observation therapy. And are you seeing many COVID-19 cases still today? COVID-19 cases have subsided in Somalia and generally in, in East Africa. So currently, there are no cases of COVID-19. Uh, we haven't seen it over the last um, more or less like uh, 10 to 11 months. So it has really quite subsided, yeah.
While at the hospital, it was such a positive sign for future work practices when we meet with Trokra's first female doctor in Somalia, Dr. Shukri Abdi. She was able to take a few minutes from her busy schedule and it was inspiring to hear the influence Dr. Shukri is having on women's healthcare. I'm Dr. Shukri Hussain, medical officer Trokra. But you're the first female doctor for Trokra here. Yeah. Tell me about your own journey. How did you end up working in Luke Hospital? You know, when you are female, it was a challenge. So people will not uh, believe you to do the most difficult is cesarean uh, section. So it was the most challenge I met, but now I'm very comfortable to work this area. And we, we met a girl yesterday in the IDP camp who wants to become a doctor. She's older. <laughs> is there a growing, growing number of women becoming interested in this work? Yeah, actually, I met that a female. I treated herself and she told me... She, I would be like you if I get a chance and I support for whatever she needs for me, like uh, supporting mentality, psychologically, and everyone would be whatever he wants if he gets support from family, from the community, from his own self to believe what he can do. You know, now we got a lot of empowerment for females, so we will be the most like a... A man, and I'm sure that female will be like me or better than me. You might be training her one yeah, day. Yeah, I will be. Yeah. What words of encouragement would you have for people listening who are working in sectors where they are the minority? What motivated me also is uh, I met mostly females, so they appreciate whenever they saw me because they felt like when they met a, a male doctor. They say, like, uh, we are shy, they cannot tell everyone, so they feel better to meet with me. So uh, as a female doctor, as a Somalian doctor, I would like to say my young females to be uh, whatever they can be, they have to try whatever they like. Be educated, be aware, take care, so you can be whatever you like. Throughout this trip in Somalia, I have met with the recently displaced who have travelled for weeks, visited the Women's Centre to see the workshops providing skills for independence and met with the sustainable farmers of tomorrow. But for the next generation, education is key. Trokra has 20 schools across Somalia, bringing education to more than 8,450 students and giving jobs to over 150 teachers. At Taller Primary School, there are 513 children, not only enrolled in classes, but also provided with two meals a day, sanitary kits, and most importantly, protection. All these children came in without uniform. They looked monitored. They felt very unsafe, but we decided to create this classroom to make them safe. Schools in Somalia are more or less protection havens than learning centers. Schools in Somalia are treated as cure to the crisis for children. Children feel a little bit more protected here. So apart from learning, they also come here to enjoy, talk to each other, and feel safer than in the IDP camps. So I would ask them to, to raise up your hand. Manu, for yeah. It's much more than just learning from a book. It's, it's more of a protection having for girls than a learning centre. Yeah, schools here provide that kind of protection than coming for learning. Yeah, Much more than just a school. Yeah, it's more than a school. It's a protection having. It's, it's a, it's a centre where children feel more safe. 
especially for girls, because this way they can access some security. This way they can get some sanitary kits. This way they can get food through the WFP. And this way they feel they have time to enjoy with their peers. This is where they feel they can talk to their teachers, especially the female teachers for girls. And it's more or less a place where they would want to be than being in the IDP centers. Trokra's education officer, Mahmoud Hirmog, introducing us to the students and staff. There are some permanent structures at Tala Primary School, but there are also classrooms built using sticks and branches topped with corrugated iron roofs. Each school has an education committee made up of seven members who each have their own role. They explain to us the importance of keeping girls in education and the positive increase they're seeing in student numbers. He was trying to explain why we have more girls coming into school at the lower classes and they're getting fewer as they go up. One of the reasons is early marriage, early and forced marriage. Like we lost 20 girls in 2021 as a result of such. And 2022, 30 of them. There are more girls coming now. Every year, there's more and more. Yeah, every year, there's an increase in, in more girls coming to school. And what will that mean for the future? So we have more girls getting educated as a result of the support given by agencies like Trokia. And that means we have more, you know, empowered communities as a result of the girls who keep coming to school. The school week runs from Sunday to Thursday and speaking with some of the teachers there, you can see the power of education opening up opportunities. My name is Shakir Abdi. I am subject to English teacher. English teacher? Yeah. How did you learn English? Yeah, the very first time I was starting to learn English, 2011. In a school like this? Yeah, it was like this. And what are the students here like in the school? Do they like English? Yeah, they like in, in the morning. I'll teach them their subject in English, and afternoon I'll teach them by breakfast. What's their favorite subject? It's uh, English and mathematics. But because of the mathematics, it's the encouragement of the mind. And how far will some of these children have traveled to come to school? Okay, by walk, barefoot. But uh, they always, in the morning, they come seven start by foot. And they play games? Yeah, we play games in a break time, the football and foot when volleyball. Is there some good yeah. football players? Yeah. Some good soccer players? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's team. They play for Man United someday? Yeah. <laughs> Me, I, the supporter of Liverpool. Liverpool? Yeah. You'll have to go to Anfield someday. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wishing that. Yeah, you can speak I'm your wishing, English. Yeah. I'm wishing to speak English and to support them and to go to the Anfield play stadium. Abda. Abda. And what age are you? My age, 21. 21. And what do you teach here at Tala Primary Schools? I joined here the 2021 and I teach the subject the science. And are the children interested in science? Yes, they're interested in science. So they enjoy when they are learning. My favorite subject is science and mathematics. Okay. Yes. So you have lots of brains. You're smart. A lot of brain. My background of education, I came from the Kenya. I learned the primary school and secondary school from the Kenya. And then after secondary school, you go straight to teaching? Yes, yes, please. And even I learned the university by distance or online. Online? Online. Yeah. Is it a good job? I'm confident in myself and I feel the enjoyment. It it gives you independence? Independence, yes. What do you do on the weekend? Sometimes I rest, sometimes I play football, sometimes I visit my relatives. Yes. 
relatively. And do you travel? Sometimes I I watch the football. Why? Who do you support? I support Arsenal. Arsenal. Yes, top of the Premier League. And one of the other teachers here, your colleagues, he supports Liverpool. He supports Liverpool. Even that teacher is my best friend. What's your plan for the next few years? Would you like to stay teaching here? No, see my, my next year. Your, your future plans. Okay, my future plan is to be a counter one. <laughs> a counter one. You see, like, because of now, I'm learning in university by online. Okay, can I ask you some question? Yeah. Yeah. The first time you come here, first time in Africa. The first time. First time, Africa. And I meet you on my first trip. Okay, do you like to come back? Yes. Another time. Yes. People are very friendly. Lots of smiles. Okay. Would you like to come to Ireland? I wish. What do you know about Ireland? Ireland. Yeah. Ireland. They that some people they come to here. The the people of Somalia like that country because they help it. And they are two countries of friends. Yes. Very good. Great. We are no we friends. Are friends. Well, welcome, 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 yeah. welcome. And we meet another time. The teachers may be using blackboards with chalk and the desks are basic. But here at the school is where I've seen the most positivity and energy on my trip. Smiling children, kicking balls and giggling down the back of class as our visit brings time out of their usual routine. But I wanted to know what the students themselves enjoy about school and what jobs they would like in the future. Bilawa, new stock. New stock. Kualia. New stock. Of course. Okay, guys, how much? You know, just to come and learn. And what are some of the schools that are missing? Shakala, what can I do? Teacher. School come how much? My name is Rahmo. He's interested in learning, pursuing higher education. And what are some of the schools that are missing? He wants to be a madam, a teacher. Sabrina. Sabrina, yeah. Sabrina, her name is Sabrina Mohammed Noor, 12 years old. English. 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 She wants to be an NGO humanitarian worker. She really wants to make sure her community is served through the knowledge she'll gain from sport. The impact charities such as Trokra are having can be measured by the responses of the children. Some want to be teachers, others humanitarian workers, as they have seen the difference these positions have made to their lives. By the time this documentary is over, it's estimated 76 people will have died of hunger in East Africa. It's difficult to source accurate data on births, treatments, deaths and burials in a part of the world where survival is the main objective. But from seeing the burnt ground to the dried out streams, further consequences of climate change are only inevitable. So for those of us living in a world with access to water, food, shelter and support, what can we do to improve the lives of others? These people, they don't have any health facilities. So they need fixed, stable and water supply, health care, stable health system with economic help and to, to train their people for the future to do their work. And also I need to, to, to train sometimes for my, <laughs> my, my skills. The message is simple. We can't abandon these people. We abandon them by the amount of 
damage that we've done to the environment. And this is the result of this. And we have got to work with them to change it. So by our own personal practices at home, but also by macro solutions for communities like this, we need big solutions and we don't have a lot of time. Devastation to Hope on Documentary on News Talk was made by Josh Crosby. Additional audio production by Lachlan Hart, with thanks to Trocra. For more on Trocra's Lent Appeal, visit trocra.org.